Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. I am thrilled to introduce you to our sponsor, Windshape Marriage. Their weekend retreats will strengthen your marriage and you will enjoy this gorgeous setting, delicious food, and quality time with your spouse. To find out more, visit them online at windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. Dr. Josh and Christy Straub are my delightful guests today. We live states away, but we became instant friends when we were able to spend a little bit of time together as our careers overlapped. They have a podcast and now a book entitled Famous at Home. And in this fantastic book, they share biblically based and practical ideas on how to put your family center stage by making it the focus of your service to God. They're so enjoyable to spend time with, and I'm very excited to share this conversation with you, which was our fourth most downloaded episode of 2022. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Josh and Christy. Thank you, Laura. We're so glad to be here. Yes, thank you for having us. Well, I'm so excited to get a chat with the two of you, but let's just begin by hearing an overview of your life stage right now. Yeah, we have... Oh, how many years have we married? 12? <laughs> I had to look at him like, how long has it been? Yeah, 12 years. 12 years. Yeah. We've got three kiddos. Our oldest son is nine, our daughter's seven. And then we have a little nugget who wasn't a surprise, but that was that's a whole story in and of itself. But our youngest son, Micah, is almost two. We're homeschooling. We work from home. We we do everything. We from do home. basically everything from home. So yeah, it's crazy. It's fun. Um, it's actually more peaceful this season than I think we have felt in a while. And so that's our fam. That's awesome. And what an amazing word with young kids to say that it's peaceful. But I <laughs> think it's such a gift to get to chat with peers in a similar stage of life. And I have so much to learn from the two of you. But your company has the same name as your latest book, Famous at Home. And I love how countercultural this pursuit is, which I believe points to the guidance from our Heavenly Father. So what has God taught the two of you about why it's vitally important to be famous at home? You know, it's you know for us personally. So when I was 10, my parents divorced and that had a pretty significant impact on my life. As you can imagine, you know, I had amazing parents. My, my dad and my mom were always present. They were always there for me. But as I went throughout my teenage years and into my early 20s, I started to realize uh, just through counseling, just some of the ways that that did impact me. And because I had such amazing parents, where I really struggled was I wanted to see them. You know, love language being time. Uh, now my time was split between the two. And that had an influence on me to make sure that I never wanted my family to experience that. And I remember early on in my counseling program, my master's program, we were asked to do a genogram as students. And one of the significant things I found was that every single person in my family, from my grandparents to my parents, to my aunts and uncles, my sister, like everyone had been divorced at least once, most of them twice. And so this divorce was rampant in my family. And of course, there was 
other, you know, as you peel back the layers of a genogram, you look at all the significant factors. And it was just something I looked at and said, I just don't want this to be an issue in my family. And we're going to pray that that stops here. And so just breaking off generational curses and that type of thing. So that was it for me personally to go, I want to make sure that at the end of my life, I look back on it and know that I left a legacy of truly being famous at home, being present with my kids, knowing that my wife felt loved, my kids felt adored. But as we professionally take that thing that we've seen through the years is that a lack of being famous at home or our identity is pulled into the ways of the world, it influences how we show up on our respective stages, no matter what it is that we're called to. And there's a very big difference between me going out and speaking or serving a community. I do work with Chick-fil-A and military and others. And so if I go out of the door and Christy is complaining about being alone again, the kids are up in arms, she's frantic, I'm not feeling blessed as I go out the door versus when our marriage is strong we're paying attention to one another's hearts. We're pursuing one another's hearts. Christy and the kids bless me as I go out the door. I show up completely different for those people that I'm serving. And so we found this through research. We found this through anecdotally through our own working with families that when you're truly present at home, it influences your work and what you're called to because you show up much differently. Wow. Thank you for sharing your story. I think we can connect personally to a lot of that. It's very inspiring to hear that prayer and that change trajectory. And you two were gracious enough to send me an advanced reader copy of your book. And I want you to know I thoroughly enjoyed it. And one of the fascinating parts was when you shared about a study of 2,000 parents and the researchers were trying to identify the top 10 parenting skills that yeah. were most predictive of raising happy and healthy and successful kids. So will you elaborate on their findings? <laughs> yeah. So this this research study was really important for me because it really summarized everything else that I had been seeing in the research in the area of attachment and attachment relationships. And I wrote a book um, a number of years ago called uh, Safe House, How Emotional Safety is the Key to Raising Kids Who Live, Love, and Lead Well. And the premise of that is the idea of creating an emotionally safe environment for our kids because it has a calming effect on the amygdala. It has a calming effect on their fight, flight, or freeze response, especially when they're feeling overwhelmed. And a lot of times as parents, our initial reaction to misbehavior or mischief is to discipline it. But the reality is, is a lot of times that misbehavior, there's something deeper going on in our kids' hearts. And so we're really huge on the power of emotion and identifying the power of emotion. And so when I came across this study, it was really powerful for me because in the area of attachment, let me let me actually come back and say this real quickly. Emotional safety really begins with us, the parent. It begins with us and, and not allowing our fight, flight, and freeze, our amygdala to go off when our kids is, is going off. And so we have to have an integrated story, if you will. We have to be able to know our own narrative. You know, I'd mentioned my parents' divorce. I mentioned the counseling I did through the years and just really come into a reconciliation of my own story so that I can show up differently. Because the reality is we end up parenting either the way our parents parented us or we parent the exact opposite way because we don't like the way our parents parented us. And we do this without even thinking about it. And so I think it's important that we think about why are we actually 
implementing the strategies that we are. And so when I came across this research study, I was really amazed by it. So it's a it's a meta-analysis, which is where they take a bunch of different research studies and they pull them together to kind of come up with data from all of them in a summary, a summarized form. Dr. Robert Epstein out of Harvard was the key um, researcher in this study. And so he 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 ran the data and then he asked parenting experts what they thought the top 10 parenting strategies would be to get the outcomes they most desire in their kids. And when he interviewed the experts, the experts actually got the top 10 wrong as well in what the, what the data showed. And actually what they found was that uh, number seven uh, was uh, behavior modification or discipline. So in other words, we might think that, you know, we, we spend so much time as parents worrying about, am I disciplining my kids well? Or, you know, are they doing what's right and wrong and that type of thing. And we spend so much time with discipline, but it's not the number one parenting strategy. It's actually the seventh most effective according to this data, this research. and. Instead, what they found was the top parenting strategy. I'm going to just give the top three. The top three parenting strategies to get the outcomes we most desire in our kids. Number one was love and affection. And by the way, love and affection was the one that we do the best as what the research found, love and affection. Number two, and this is key, is a parent's ability to manage his or her own stress. A parent's ability to manage their own stress, which is the one that we do the worst at according to the data. And then the third one was how a parent treats the co-parent, treats their spouse, how the parent treats their spouse or a co-parent in a divorce situation. So what's fascinating to me about those top three, and this is what I argue, is that none of them have to do with a direct relationship with our child. You could argue that love and affection does, but even biblically speaking, you know, John wrote that we love because he first loved us. Our ability to truly love and step into the shoes of another person really hinges on our own ability to experience and have felt loved or feel loved. And so I would argue that of the top three parenting strategies to get the outcomes that we desire in our kids, none of them have to do with a relationship with our children. They all have to do with who we're becoming as adults. And I think that's what's so fascinating about this whole idea of of being famous at home is really focusing and honing in on who are you becoming spiritually, emotionally, because if my children leave our home There's research that shows that our children will only grow emotionally to the level that we are in our own emotional maturity. And then when they're outside or until they're outside our home, then, you know, they have coaches and pastors and teachers and that type of thing that will also help them escalate to a different level of emotional maturity. But if while they're under my roof, my emotional and spiritual maturity or my my ceiling is my children's floor, then I want to be raising my ceiling in every area of my life. And I think that's critical as we look to become famous at home. Wow, that is fascinating. And I think just for encouraging the parents, it reminds me of something that the two of you have said on your own podcast, which is amazing. And we will definitely link to it in the show notes. But you were quoting Dr. John Gottman. Do you remember about how often we need to get it right to make it impactful? Yeah, this is one of my most favorite. I think this is actually my favorite. <laughs> yeah, th- this is amazing. So, and it's funny because I remember I remember a good friend of ours reminding Christy of this early on in our parenting uh, when we felt like we were just messing up all the time. Gottman, in his emotion coaching research, actually found that if you get emotion coaching, so emotion coaching is really this idea of entering into your children's world, understanding their feelings. And and it's not that we're not disciplining. Please don't hear, please, that's, that's, 
there's this idea out there, and this will take us on a side tangent that I don't need to go on, but that, that if you're paying attention to your children's emotions, that, that means that they're the ones ruling the roost. And that is not true. Uh, that's not emotional safety at all, actually. Our children need boundaries, and that emotional safety is about setting boundaries. But he does this research on emotion coaching, and he found that if you get it right just two out of five times, that's 40% of the time that you can still get the outcomes you're looking for in your kids. And the reason is because he found that there's a word, the research says, a word called repair is the ultimate of relationships. Well, the Bible calls it forgiveness. And when the disciples ask Jesus how often you practice it, he said 70 times seven. So basically a lot. Like it's a con- like the Jesus is constantly forgiving us as we seek his forgiveness. And that's the way it happens when we mess up with our kids. What we do is we seek their forgiveness and I use this threefold approach of entering into their world where, where you say, I'm sorry for what I've done. You apologize for what you've done. And you're specific about your what you did wrong. You don't just say, I'm sorry I did that. No, I'm sorry that I spoke to you the way that I did. Daddy should not have done that. Uh, in fact, this just this past weekend, you know, I overreacted. Our son had his had his wet uh, bathing suit at, on spring break. We were in spring break and I found his wet bathing suit in his suitcase with his all of his dry clothes and clean clothes. And I overreacted to him I'm like, dude, I've told you so many times. And of course, he started beating himself up and, and I had to bring him back in and apologize to him. And I said, buddy, I'm sorry that I overreacted. I made a mountain out of a molehill. I'm sorry that I did that. Will you forgive me? And then third is asking how you can make it right. When we do that, what we do is we show our kids, we model for our kids, number one, that we're not perfect. Number two, that we don't expect them to be perfect. And number three, we model for them how to make it right. I just think that research is just such a big like – sigh of relief for parents who are just trying to be famous at home and feel like they're failing over and over and over again. Listen, you're not perfect. You're going to yell. You're going to say things you regret. That's just who we're human. But the beauty of, of Jesus is that we're constantly being redeemed and saved and we can seek his forgiveness. Our kids, like, it's just, it's just a beautiful model to create in your home. That is so encouraging. So getting our emotional reactions right two out of five times and seeking forgiveness. I love those takeaways. How do you combat the impulse to seek fulfillment in things outside the home that may seem to offer more instant gratification than cultivating our family? Mm, I think that's exactly the question. It's because it's the instant gratification, right? Like when we go to work, there's all these metrics that measure how well we're doing and it's the attaboys and raises and we sit around, you know, rooms of people that tell us we're doing a good job. Sometimes we don't, but there's often a lot more gratification doing work outside of the home than inside. And it's true. It's the work that we do within these four walls is hidden. It's unseen for a long time. We will see the effects of it eventually. We will see it in our marriages. We will see it in our children. We will see it in our grandchildren. We will see it in the legacy that we leave behind, but we don't see it right now. And I think that is where this pull of culture has become so seductive, where it's the glitter and the glamour. And and let's be honest, like we need encouragement. We need the gratification and someone to tell us you're doing a really good job. But my kids don't tell me that when I make them, you know, the meal for the millionth time. Like Josh doesn't even always tell me that because we're so used to just playing our roles or running our race, doing a lot of the ordinary 
mundane acts of living. Mm-hmm. And we're not told like, Josh, you did such a great job this morning. Like I saw, like, thank you for stepping in with the kids or sitting on the couch and reading with them this morning. Like to sit down and play Candyland with our kids, like that doesn't give us that boost that even posting on social media does. Like we might post about it on social media and that gives us a boost because other people are like, wow, that's so you're great. You're such a great parent. You're yeah, you're crushing it. <laughs> It's just real. And we just have to deal with that. That that's the that's the human side of us coming out. We're just wanting to know we're doing a good job. We want to know that we have purpose. We want to know that we're making an impact in the world. And so often we aren't told that the work that we're doing in our homes within those most precious relationships, this is the gold that we will cultivate, but also like we get to hold that for the rest of our lives. That's the legacy that we're creating day in and day out. But it is hard to combat this pull toward the outside things. And as I say this, I don't want this to sound like like we do nothing outside of our home. Like the 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 home and and these people that God has, you know, put in our walls are the only thing we do. It's exactly like what Josh was saying. It's just priority. It's just putting in, you talk about the big rocks first. We get these ones right or right-ish as much as we can. We're trying with everything in us to prioritize, to emphasize, and to be just walk in health. But then moving outside of the home, it allows us to actually do those things that we're called to do, the purpose and the God-given influence and giftings that we are to use outside in the world, we're able to do that with clarity. And I think even when I mentioned earlier, like peace, I, I don't even know why I said it in the, in our, in the very beginning, but I realized that's really what it is. I think because there's clarity and there's so much confusion and pull. I'm talking as a mom, as a working mom, like there is so much pull on me and the shame and the guilt can get really loud. And the combat, it's not like, oh, you terrible parent that needs to get it right. I see it more of a a manifesto for the ones that are like us that are just, they know what they want to prioritize. And it's just fighting the cultural tide to do it the way God says to do it. Yeah. And I think the how, just even thinking practically speaking, you know, for me, I think it comes in in a couple different ways. Number one is not taking Christy for granted. So in my relationship with my spouse, I am going to verbalize when I feel like she's doing a great job at something. I'm going to verbalize when I feel like as mundane as putting together the grocery meal, ordering groceries, making meal plans, like she said earlier, reading a book with the kids, and I'm going to verbalize that to her. I'm going to honor her out loud because when you put it out into the world, you put it out into the atmosphere, it creates something. It does something to her that enables her to want to be in my presence versus when we are just doing life and we're and we're missing that because I receive it in return when I'm doing that. With our kids, it's the same thing. I think for, for our kids, one of the areas I have tried to do this to combat is to follow my kids' yeses. So whenever my kids ask me to do something, I really try to pursue their heart. So just yesterday, our son, we, we have this new card game called Cover Your Assets. 
It's a really fun card game. And we played it as adults, but we haven't really introduced our kids to it. And our son Landon wanted to learn and I taught him. And just his thankfulness, his gratitude, dad, thank you so much. Can we play again? You know, it's just this constant wanting to play again, but there's just such a sense of thank you, dad. And that fuels my soul, like to, to truly enter in, you know, a couple weeks ago, I put up bird feeders for them in the backyard and, you know, our daughter was just so thankful and to just to see the gratitude in our kids and their hearts come alive when we say yes to our kids, these are things that make me want to continue to seek fulfillment inside the home and pursue their hearts. And then I think the last thing, this kind of goes without saying, well, maybe it doesn't, but technology, we just have to get off of screens enough to do it. Um, I think so often we we're bouncing around on and off our screens so much in the presence of our family that we're not truly present with our family. And the more that we can set uh, concentrated times where we turn the phone off or put it away in a completely different location, that's how we're fully present and experience those moments. Like I'm not playing on the phone. I'm not on the phone while I'm playing the game with Landon. I'm not on the phone while I'm building the birdhouses. We're truly present with each other. So I think that's a huge practical kind of like, here's how we do, at least this is how I've been experiencing that fulfillment as best that I can. And I love how you lay out that application because it's replicable to all of us. And even hearing your children's gratitude I'm assuming that the two of you are expressing and modeling gratitude for one another that just overflows to them. So that's really helpful. I mean, most, I would like to think most of the time anyway, but I, <laughs> I mean, there's some times that are missed. We have, our, we have our seasons. <laughs> At least two out of five times, right? That's, that's right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, let's focus in on family rhythms, because I believe that rhythms are such a savvy sauce. So will you tell us more about what you've learned about the importance of rhythms? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, like when you try to balance something, it just the word balance means that everybody is staying still. And we all know that when we're raising kids that not everybody and, and you have your business or you, you're working and like it's just hard for everybody to be still. And so rhythms are more an opportunity for us to live fully out of who God created us to be. And when you look scripturally, I mean, he's the one who created the rhythms to begin with. You know, when you go back into Genesis, you begin to see that. I mean, that's where they originate from. He He created the world. And when he created the world, he created it in seven days. And on the seventh day, he rested. Did he need to rest because he was so tired from creating? No, um, he's God. But he created it as a gift to us to rest. It's like, um, getting a gift at Christmas and saying, you know what, I don't want this gift. You take it back. And I feel like we've done that as a culture with Sabbath, with the Lord is going, ah, we don't really, we're just going to keep working. We're going to keep going hard. We're not going to really slow down. And what we have found is when you implement that in a healthy way in your family, it's just, and again, this has taken us a while to do. It's not like it, you just implement it and all of a sudden it's there. Rhythms are something that you're constantly adjusting, you're constantly looking at, you're constantly looking at your calendar, especially as your kids age, activities change. You know, there's just a lot that we have to pay attention to. But starting with Sabbath is, is for us, a weekly Sabbath is the most important rhythm that we implemented. And then the, the, the other component of that is on the, you know, every single day that God created something, at the end of the day, he said, it is good. He looked at what he created and he celebrated it. And I think the other thing that we've gotten away from is celebration. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't do a really good job of 
celebrating. I have a friend, Jeremy Pryor, who said to me, he said, you know, one of the things we do is we're not very good as humans at balancing joy and work. We binge either on work or we binge on celebration. We don't really do a good job of, of, of implementing them in both in throughout our lives, which is what the feasts of Israel were all about. They were, they were about implementing celebration in and throughout your life, even in seasons of work. And so that's what we've tried to do is create these rhythms throughout our week. I can remember when the pandemic hit uh, a couple of years ago and we were we sat down with a calendar every week because we were all home and we were all schooling from home and we were doing everything from home. And every single Sunday night we sat down with our calendar and we looked at uh, what the week was going to entail. Our kids knew what was coming each day. We knew what was coming each day. And that really started for us, I think, helping our kids even understand our kids are just wired to want to know what's going to happen throughout the week. They don't like surprises. And so we just try to uh, implement rhythms where our kids are knowing what's coming up. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. I'm so excited to share today's sponsor, WinShape Marriage, with you. WinShape Marriage is a fantastic ministry that helps couples prepare, strengthen, and if needed, even save their marriage. WinShape Marriage is grounded on the belief that the strongest marriages are the ones that are nurtured, even if it seems like things are going smoothly. That way, they'll be stronger if they do hit a bump along their marital journey. Through their weekend retreats, WinShape Marriage invites couples to enjoy time away to simply focus on each other. These weekend retreats are hosted within the beautiful refuge of WinShape Retreat, perched in the mountains of Rome, Georgia, which is just a short drive from Atlanta, Birmingham, and Chattanooga. While you and your spouse are there, you'll be well-fed, well-nurtured, and well-cared for. During your time away in this beautiful place, you and your spouse will learn from expert speakers and explore topics related to intimacy, overcoming challenges, improving communication, and so much more. I've stayed on site at Windshape before, and I can attest to their generosity, food, and content. You will be so grateful you went. To find an experience that's right for you and your spouse, head to their website, winshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. You've mentioned Sabbath, but are there any other ways that the two of you take breaks to refresh? Hmm. I don't think any human does well with every day looking the same, nor do we do well with every day looking different. So we have named our days. So when you go through the week, like Monday through Wednesday are our hard days. So those are the days that we really try to do a lot of the heavy lifting of work. Um, that involves like schooling the kids, our work, so that our weeks really look like a bell curve. So that we're moving into like when we look at like a Shabbat or in Sabbath rest on Friday night or Shabbat, Saturday is our Sabbath rest because we're involved with church stuff and so Sundays to us really aren't restful, <laughs> but we still want to have this, like you're saying, a pattern of rest. We don't want to be living for rest, but from it so that we have a lifestyle where rest is just built in and we're not just chasing the next vacation where we can rest, right? Like we all know what that feels like. And it's always coming from a place of lack, but when we overload those first few days of the week, um, we'll work longer days and we're up earlier. And then as we're moving down, sort of like dropping off the bell curve into the weekend, Thursday, Friday, they start to decrease. 
And obviously this is so specific to every family. And I, my probably best encouragement is there is no right, you know, this is something that it's trial and error. You try it. And if it works for you, you're like, great, this is gold. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and give you the divine wisdom that's unique to your family, but you will find it. And you will, even on our Sabbath days, like we actually have them very planned out so that we know I'm going to get time with Josh. I'm going to get time with my daughter. I'm going to get time with one of my sons. Like we, I'm going to get time alone. I'm going to go maybe out for coffee with a friend, but I know that those are coming because those are the important things that I have to have in order to go ramp back up into the next week to do the hard days. And I think also just even in our daily routines, that's from a weekly perspective, but from a daily rhythm perspective, we also getting up early has probably been our game changer. We're up before the kids so that we can have time with the Lord, that we can exercise, that we can like get our heads on straight before the rush of the day. That meant sacrificing nights. So we like basically go to bed when our kids go to bed. So those are some of the practical ways that we do it in our family. I love that. And we definitely relate to that going to bed early. I think somebody once said an adult's way of sleeping in is going to bed early. Yes. Oh, great point. that's a great point. I love it. Yeah. And I would, I would also add this to the rhythms piece, you know, for us, it's a constant ebb and flow. And for a while we kicked and screamed a bit. I know Christy did at being so, <laughs> I can being see. so organized on the front end and planning this stuff. I, I wanted to more like go with the flow and, you know, like just let your like live life. But you realize the stuff that you lose out on is the important stuff. Like the the fires of work get prioritized because they're louder and they have more repercussions. Your kids and your husband get pushed to the side. Your rest gets pushed to the side. So in my, you know, want to just sort of float through my days, I realized I was losing out on the most important stuff for me. So in order to prioritize what really is valuable (laughs) to make a life, I realized I had to sort of actually put in the work to plan out our days and our weeks. And it has, it really has worked. And I have to look at Josh and be like, you were right. (laughs) I was wrong. I think you're articulating just the truth behind intentionality that you're right. It is a bit of a sacrifice and a paradigm shift, but it does make a way for us to get to pursue the things in life that truly matter and those things that truly outlast this life. So it's a worthwhile pursuit. And as you speak about Sabbath, we recently aired an episode on Sabbath and it's catered to young families. And what does this actually look like? So I'll link to that in the show notes. But also it reminds me of something that you also taught on your podcast about another paradigm shift with Sabbath where our day doesn't begin at sunrise. So do you remember that lesson that I'm talking about? Yeah, in the Hebrew calendar, like if you look at the rhythms in the first chapter of Genesis when God's creating the earth is it says that after each day, it says there was evening and then there was morning the first day. And then it says there was evening and then there was morning the second day. And if you look at every single day, it starts in the evening and ends in the morning. And one of the significant components of that, you know, when you look at the Hebrew calendar, it begins in the the day begins in the evening. So even with, you know, Shabbat uh, or the Sabbath, you know, it always begins at sundown on Friday evening and ends at sundown 
on Saturday evening. And I think what's fascinating about that is, you know, if you think about how we would structure our days differently, if we just changed our mindset to begin them in the evening, you see how you're living from rest and not for it because you're starting your day with the most magnificent meal of the day, which is supper. You know, I mean, you imagine you, you know, that's when we put the most time and effort and energy into any meal is the dinner meal. So you're, you're having the best meal of the day. And then it's like God saying, Hey, why don't you go get some rest for about eight hours after your dinner and get some sleep. And by the way, while you're asleep, I'm not going to sleep. I don't need to rest, but I'm going to be doing some things in your life that you've been praying for, that you've been praying about, that I see that you need and and the things that you need to do to restore. You know, I love in Revelation, it says he's making all things new and his Christ followers, we get to be a part of him, uh, a part of that journey with him and restoring all things. That's what our work on this earth is about, is restoring and renewing all things as we bring down to earth that which is in heaven as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. And God's saying, go rest. I'm going to be doing some work to help you restore and make all things new in your work and everything you're called to do in your relationships. And so what's beautiful about that is then you wake up in the morning and it says, you know, we get up and Adam and Eve walked with Jesus in the cool of the day or walked with God in the cool of the day. You spend some time with him and look and say, hey, what is it that you've been doing while I've been asleep? And God's saying, here's what I've been doing. Here are the things. And, you know, for me, this is silence and solitude and a prayer of examine and a number of different spiritual disciplines that, that you find that are helpful for you to experience God's love for you. And then he says, hey, now just go on with the rest of your day, the rest of the eight, 10 hours that you've got and go carry out what I've called you to do. Go to work for the last part of your day. And instead, the way we live our lives in the Western world is we wake up in the morning to start our day. If we haven't worked out or woken up early, we start behind. You know, maybe that includes bickering with your spouse because you, you're trying to figure out who's got the kids and who's going where. And then you're out the door and you're you're at work and you're just working and working. Then you come home and it's like and now all of a sudden it's all hands on deck for dinner and clean up and taking care of the kids and bath time. And by the time you lay your head in bed, you're just so exhausted. You're just like, oh, I just need to rest. And so you're living for it rather than from it. Right. And that's the beautiful part about it for me. So, oh, that's so good. And you two write about seven decisions that will impact our parenting journey. And one of those seven decisions is changing our atmosphere. So, will you first just define atmosphere for us and then elaborate on some of the promises that God lays out for us when we live righteous lives? Hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, this all flows out of rhythms, really, this whole idea of atmosphere. like, And if you think of it very practically, if you watch the news, having the news on in your house is going to only incite a, a spirit of fear in your home because that's what they that's what drives ratings is fear, devastation, what's going on that's not working, breaking news cycle, right? So, so there's fear in the atmosphere. If you're passive aggressive towards your spouse or you're just kind of in this, mm. you're in seasons where you're just kind of, let's just say that I didn't wake up early one morning. I got frustrated because I wasn't, I, I fell behind. And then Christy comes downstairs and, you know, I've been working, I've been dealing with the kids and she got to sleep in a little bit. And now I'm frustrated because she got to sleep in and I haven't been able to do anything for myself in the morning. And so I passive aggressively take that out on her. That, that sh There's an atmospheric shift that's taking place right there. There's an atmosphere of passive aggression. There's an atmosphere of just even some resentment, unmet expectations, uh, that type of thing. Whereas if I'm being grateful, 
to Christy, if I'm voicing it into the atmosphere, if I'm noticing what our kids are doing well, if I'm speaking words of life into them, it's putting words of life into the atmosphere. You know, the Bible says the power of life and death are on the tongue. Mm -hmm. And what we speak, what we play, the music we listen to, what is coming across our screens, it's putting something into the atmosphere. And so we're just really trying to, as we coach families, help them assess the atmosphere of their home. Uh, what does the atmosphere of your home specifically feel like on most days? And we have an assessment in the book that we kind of walk families through that, you know, on a continuum of a number of different, you know, peace to fear, that type of thing. So, so what we do is we ask families, number one, what what is the atmosphere that most needs to shift in your home right now? And setting up one rhythm that will help you shift and maybe move from anger to patience or from, you know, indifference to love or from entitlement maybe to self-control or exhaustion to rest. So I think identifying what the atmosphere of your home looks like, the music you're listening to. We play worship music in our home most mornings to try to just set the atmosphere and the tone of our home. And moving into righteousness, I think for us, the whole idea of righteousness for me really comes out of the idea of focus, uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And this is, mm-hmm. comes out of Matthew 6 and in the idea of worry. When your home is has fear and there's worry in it, in Matthew 6 it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You know, when we're seeking his righteousness, that really comes out of the love that we experience from him. Because when we experience his love, we want to do what's right. And throughout our lives, I think we found more and more that the more we do what's right, the more life it brings us. And instilling that in our kids and helping our kids understand that is what creates an atmosphere for them of going, mom and dad, you chose that decision there. Why did you do that instead of this? And to really begin to help create conversation as they age around why we do what's right and where right and wrong come from, which is, you know, getting them right back into the word of God. And so for me, that whole idea of righteousness, it's I mean that in a way of I don't want to be familiar with God. I want my relationship to be always fresh. And what I have found is that when I seek him first and his kingdom, righteousness is a byproduct of that because I want to do what's right. And I just feel icky when I don't. And so instilling that in our home, there's something in the atmosphere that happens when you live that way that allows our kids to just ask questions and begin to identify for themselves what righteousness feels like. If you've benefited in any way from the Savvy Sauce, we would love to invite you to become a patron. If every listener gave just $1 per month, it would completely offset all our production costs. We want to keep majority of our content free to the public, and one way to do that is with your help. Please consider joining Patreon today and finding out what perks you can receive for pledging two, five, or even $20 per month. When we look at that word righteousness, and I typically think it means that our lives are set apart for him, but would you elaborate at all on that definition or what you mean by righteousness? Let's say if that's somebody's first time hearing that word. Yeah, holiness, um, being set apart. We look different than the world. And I think we're seeing that more and more in our culture. You will look different than the rest of the world. 
the Bible says that gifts are without repentance. And this idea that when we meet Jesus face to face, it's our righteousness, it's our holiness. You know, in Revelation 19, it also says at the marriage supper of the Lamb, it says that we'll be wearing white robes. And the white robes refer to the righteous acts of the saints. And I just think about, you know, living pure, living holy. And again, let's go back to two out of five times, right? This is the grace of God. This is the love of God for us. This isn't about legalism. It's not about always doing what's right. Uh, It's about always trying to choose what's right. And there's going to be times we make mistakes. There's going to be times we mess up. But his grace is sufficient. And that's the beauty of this is we're living righteous lives in an environment of grace, in an atmosphere of grace. And that's that's the grace that we give for our kids as well, for our spouse. And when we're doing that ourselves, man, it is an opportunity to truly disciple our kids by being famous at home and by setting the atmosphere of your home. And so for me, that's where it comes out of when we're in the throne room of God, our gifts won't matter. We can be gifted in so many things. There are non-believers who have the gifts of God, but our gifts aren't going to get us to heaven. Our gifts aren't going to get us into his presence. What gets us into his presence is our holiness, our righteousness, our being set apart. And our righteousness flows out of our forgiveness and what Jesus did on the cross for us, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his taking on our sin on our behalf, becoming the righteousness of God. As Paul talks about in Corinthians, you know, he who had no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are already righteous because of him. Now we just carry that out in our everyday lives and we find freedom through being set apart. There's freedom in, in living with just that conscience of righteousness. And you guys articulate that so well. So many both and situations because you're right. Both. It is important to live righteous lives when we've been forgiven by the Lord and that that matters in the way that we intentionally pattern our lives. And God now looks at us and sees Jesus and his righteousness cloaks us and covers us. So I appreciate that. Will the two of you just tell me a little bit more about self-awareness and others' awareness? What are they and how do we cultivate them and train our kids to do the same? Yeah, self-awareness is basically just knowing how we feel and why we feel the way we do. It's our awareness of self. And it's also then that goes toward the next person, which is others' awareness, where we know what another person is feeling and why they may be feeling that way. Um, It's the very basics of emotional intelligence. And the primary building block of that is being able to recognize emotion. And I know that probably sounds simple, but it's actually a building block a lot of us have missed. Likely, we all grew up in a family where there were certain feelings or emotions that were allowed and certain ones that were punished, certain ones that were dismissed. You'll hear stories where people will say like, well, I was just told to be happy. And that meant that anything that was not happy had to be hidden. So they had to hide anger. They had to hide sadness. They had to hide anything that wasn't happy, which basically allows you to live a life of acting. And so 
it's super important. We feel like this is, we wrote a book called What Am I Feeling? It's the very basics of emotional intelligence by starting to work with our kids. But we did it because often as adults, we need this too. We need to go back to recognize how are we feeling? And so to have a home where you're encouraging your kids and not just your kids, but you and your spouse too. And to say like, how, like, how are you feeling? Because once we connect that, we move a layer deeper where we actually connect to the heart of our spouse and the heart of our kids. Yeah, it's hard to step into the shoes of another person and identify what they're feeling if you don't know what you're feeling yourself. I love in Proverbs, it says, patience is better than power and controlling one's emotions than capturing a city. Mm-hmm. And the idea there is it's you can capture a city, but if you can't control your own emotions, you're going to end up losing it. And so often that's what we find in with leaders uh, that if you haven't been able to identify and step into your world of your emotions and your and, and your own story, you can gain an incredible position, but it's easy to lose when you take your eyes off of what matters most. And that's so often your own family. And that's where we see, you know, so many leaders um, have falls. And part of that really comes down to who are we surrounding ourselves with? Mm. Who are you becoming as an adult? And one of the things that Christy and I just really try to do as much as we possibly can is surround ourselves with therapists. We have a coach, life coach. We have pastors in our lives. We have spiritual directors in our lives, just really practicing what we preach and and, and surrounding ourselves with people who are really going to increase our own emotional and spiritual maturity and increase that ceiling because and you look at the data and you look at throughout scripture our kids become who we are, but it begins with self-awareness because the more self-aware I am, the more I can step into the shoes of my kids. And it really ties in everything that you've asked us today, which is amazing. Even, you know, how do you combat the draw of the world to stay present with your kids? Like where I'm not chasing Instagram or I'm not chasing my emails. I'm not chasing something while I'm present with them, but I'm truly present with them and I'm okay to be present with them. That's where self-awareness really is so powerful as it relates to others' awareness and stepping into the shoes of our loved ones. That's really helpful and brings up just one more topic because your book does give us a filter for ways to make wiser family decisions. And I believe that fellow parents of young children would also appreciate any type of filter to help make decisions easier in the moment. So from your experience, how does this idea of other currencies help you apply everything we've talked about today and help you make family choices that you won't regret. Yeah, like there's other currencies than just money. Peace is a currency. And that was one for us that I realized mattered more, actually. And so we've made sacrifices in terms of work and positions, saying yes to things, because we realized our peace was a currency that had a higher value than money. What is that for your family? Maybe it's joy. Maybe it's adventure. And that, that drills down to what we also talk about in Famous at Home. is like your family values. Like you, you won't know what decisions to make until you set the values that your family lives by. Um, and we walk people through how to do that because that, I mean, that has helped us. I don't even know if we'd be living here or doing what we're doing. We would, it changes the filters through which you make choices when you know who you are and the values that you set your life upon and the currencies by which you want to to live your life. And we want to live a life of peace, of joy, of adventure, of connection. What is that for your family? It will be specific, but it will keep you on the track that God has for you. 
And there's still so much more that I would love to ask you about, but where would you direct all of us to glean more from the two of you after today's conversation? Uh, thank you, Laura. Yeah, famousathome.com is the place to go. And then Famous at Home podcast, you can find us in anywhere that podcasts are, Famous at Home podcast, and find the book and, and everything at famousathome.com. So, and then we're also on Instagram as well. So, Wonderful. We'll link to all of that as well in the show notes of today's episode. And you two already know that we're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or insight. And so as my final question for both of you today, what is your Savvy Sauce? You know, I was actually thinking about this question this morning. I took a walk and what came to me, I believe it was from the Lord, was there is a time for every season and there is time for everything in its season. It's discerning what is what season are you in? because there's time for everything in that season. But like for us, like you asked us in the beginning, I have a season right now where I have three kids under my roof that I alone am equipped and called to steward. And so I know that in this season, there is time for everything that is in regards to what I have in front of me, but I have to discern what is this season what and what is waiting for another season. So there might be things or projects or ideas or adventures that I want to include. There's not time for that in this season. So I think for all of us to discern and know their seasons, but also to discern and know that there is time for everything in that season. Love that. You know, for me, the thing that is really helping me stay grounded, you know, my own spiritual journey, I spent a, almost a week at a, a monastery in Arkansas in November with my spiritual director and just practicing silence and solitude and experiencing the love of God for me. And for me, I'm really reading more books, sitting with the Lord in a prayer of examine each day, just really trying to do everything I can. In Ephesians, it says, I pray that you might know beyond knowledge the love of God. And the idea of that is, is that, that you might know that there's a knowing, an experiential knowing of the love of God where you just sit, you know, beyond head knowledge. And for so many years of my life, I had the head knowledge of God, but didn't experience his love, that his love and his grace are all that I need. That's sufficient for me in everything that I do. And what that's doing is it's driving me to make my world smaller in so many ways. And what I mean by that is just to appreciate the smaller, more mundane, beautiful moments, to appreciate a flower, the giggle of my kids, I'm holding my two-year-old son this morning as he's watching the garbage truck go by in the cul-de-sac, and I'm just staring at his face, and I'm just embracing that moment because the wonder and the delight on his face over watching a garbage truck just brought wonder and delight in my soul, and it made me think in that moment of how much God the Father holds me when I'm in wonder and delight on this earth, and him just watching me and taking delight in me, that delight, that love and experiencing that love of the Father has just grounded me. And so I'm, I'm constantly pursuing his love for me in every way that I can through, through disciplines and spiritual disciplines. And I think that's, that's really where I'm at. Wow. This time has been just such a treasure. And 
Mark and I were so thrilled to initially get introduced to the two of you and then get to meet in person. And I know that we look forward to a friendship for many years to come. And we both just love you already. And I admire your faith that the two of you shared today. And I appreciate your love for each other and your love for your family. You are leaving all of us very inspired to become famous at home. So thank you very much for being my guests. Thank you so much for having us. We love you guys dearly and just look forward to the many years of friendship we get to share with you as well. Mm -hmm. You guys are kindred spirits, Laura. We love you. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death, and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a Savior. But God loved us so much, He made a way for His only Son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with Him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished, if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way I tell you, There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.